Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast featuring social work researchers. I'm Jessica Renarsson and learning should be relatable. Hello everyone, welcome back to Relate Your Research. It's very exciting to be back with you all and we have spent some time recording, producing and cleaning up many conversations which I hope to be sharing with you in the next few weeks. It's very exciting. I thought it would be good to start this episode off just with a quick touch base with all our new listeners. The podcast is fairly new, but I've been blown away by the encouragement and just the most amazing response from the public, um, fellow colleagues, other students, basically everyone that I've spoken to has just been so complimentary and so supportive of the channel so that really spurred us on and um, I've been really blown away so just a, a thank you and a shout out to to all of you who listened to podcast episode one. The purpose of Relate Your Research is a is to offer a platform to share research and to journey with social work researchers to make learning relatable. I think as a social worker myself I'm often um, thinking, you know, how do I integrate? How do I critically analyze what's happening around me? But also, how do I relate research that I'm engaging with back into the field? And so I think for many researchers and academics, it's it's a interesting question to figure out how do you relate your research to the world and for the world and the field out there to decide well how am I going to access current research that can affect and impact my practice. Podcasts are an exciting new method of sharing knowledge, thoughts, having conversations really um, and that's an exciting platform for me for us to be and for us as a community of social workers or interested parties. This um, is also a way of getting to know others better and I'm hoping that as the community grows it'll be really encouraging to watch people connect up with some of our guests so yes. Social work is a wonderful field with many layers and the field calls for action. Um, Academics call for theory and some people jump between the two as I was saying and so I think it's an exciting platform to create where researchers and um, practitioners in the field can can use Relate Your Research as a platform to engage each other um, and to to share their knowledge. So our pilot episode was on supervision in social work and it was a a wonderful kind of starting block and we hope to begin to branch out into many facets of social work and social work research and really begin to capture the interests of social workers. For some people that may be substance abuse or looking into um, criminology of some kind, looking into social justice. For some people that will be community work, for others that may be family preservation. For for some social workers they may be interested more in the child protection services, more statutory work. People may be interested in parenting programs or education. 
And so we really start to see um, the layers of social work begin to unfold. And um, we've been talking a lot here just in studio about how do we engage you as the listeners, but also begin to provide interesting and thoughtful, critical debate and scholarly debate. So the question on my mind is what are people writing about? And where are social workers spending their time when it comes to research and learning? And I know for different people, their interests will be different. Um, Culture plays a huge role and we have an interesting discussion and conversation to share with you in the next few weeks all about that. What will help is if you are a subscriber to our channel. And so my first kind of call to action would be that as we... As we grow the channel um, for you to stay connected, no matter the topic, um, the content is aimed at social workers. So please share the link with your colleagues or the people that you know. And as we tiptoe into iTunes, pending at this point, um, but yes, as we tiptoe into iTunes, please leave a review because that really helps the channel get more exposure. And lastly, if there's a topic that you're interested in, or if you have someone you'd like to refer, or if you know of some research that you think would be ideal to be featured on Relate Your Research, please drop me a mail. The link is in the description below where anyone who's interested in in putting forward a suggestion form a podcast episode can can share that with us and we will will take that further so without further ado let us get started with this next episode great hello and welcome everyone to our second episode of relate your research it's a very exciting opportunity for us to continue on this journey together relate your research is a podcast platform designed for social work researchers to share their findings and lessons with others in a relatable way since our first episode we've had the most incredible surge of support and encouragement and i just have to send a shout out to all of you who have been so encouraging We also have some exciting news to share, and that is that we're officially on iTunes, which is very exciting, and that only helps reach more people and um, branches the scope of what this podcast is able to do. So thank you, everyone, for your support. Today, we have Norette Müller-Klötz from... College of Cape Town. She's also a PhD candidate from Stellenbosch University and very exciting for me to have her here because she's also a colleague that I've been fortunate to have shared one or two conferences with recently. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me discussing today very much a focus on your master's study but I know it links into various passions and interests of yours so I'm excited for a very engaging conversation today. Um, The topic or our theme for today is the experiences of family caregivers of persons with physical disabilities so really looking at at what disabilities mean for the families I suppose. Um, Could you maybe unpack that a little bit for the listeners what is a disability and it's always a good place to start to break down the topic uh yes yes so disability is firstly a very 
complex and dynamic concept. And I mean, there are many researchers, academics, and theorists that have tried to conceptualize the term disability. However, I think the ICF is one of the most common and well-known ways of thinking about disability because it looks at the term disability in terms of impairment, uh, participation, restriction, and activity limitation. So looking at what is the medical diagnosis as well as how this impacts the individual and how the uh, environment has an influence as well on the person and their disability. So, uh, so there has been quite a, a great movements towards the awareness of disability and trying to minimize the stigmatization around that. But however, there are rooms for improvement as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what you are touching on is so crucial because often um, disabilities are misunderstood by society. Do you agree? Yes, yes. So, like I said, there have been movement around that, um, and there's organisations doing great work on that. Um, I think the most common misperception about disability is the ach shame perception. Um, for, in layman's terms, feeling sorry for the person and then immediately assuming because of their disability they are less able than a person without a disability. Sure. Do you have any thoughts on the difference between a um, I want to say label, labeling, but like categorizing a person as a person with disabilities versus the whole movement towards special needs. I know that was a huge debate at one point. Um, yes, so I think um, this is different for different disabilities and it depends on person to person. So uh, the term labeling, yeah, it could mean, it usually means very negative but also this negative yes so um but the special needs movement is also it's it's it has to be done in a very sensitive way so to not label but i think the idea is more to integrate uh, persons with disabilities and children with disabilities into society so um i think yeah so it's not that the special needs is labeling the people. I think it's more of we recognize that you might have certain barriers, just like other people might have other barriers, and let's address that so that the person can then integrate into society or the educational institution or even the workforce. Absolutely. So it becomes a topic of inclusion. Yes, yes. Rather than um, saying special needs, uh, in a negative way if, um, in that sense, yes. Sure, makes sense. Okay, and so you have a bit of a personal story that relates to your interest of disability. Would you be able to share some of that with our listeners? Uh, yeah, so I was born with spina bifida uh, and I was very fortunate with my prognosis that it actually had very little impact on my day-to-day -day living. However, I was also very fortunate with the support I received from the community that I grew up with. Uh, I didn't have a lot of medical resources because uh, I grew up in a small town, but the support from the community uh, was really, really positive. And I only actually realized that once I went out of that bubble and realized that other people are actually struggling much more if they don't have that. So yeah, so that's uh, kind of where my story started with the interest in disability. 
as well as I have a family. My father had a stroke um, also, so I also have family members with disabilities. Sure. Did you find that that changed the way you wrote and the way you read up about disabilities and about your research focus? Uh, yes and no. I always say that uh, for my father and similar cases where you acquire the disability later in life, and even with family caregivers, you had to make an adjustment. So you had this idea of maybe in the case of family caregivers of the child that you will have, and you had to change that idea. With the If you acquire the disability later in life, then you had to you had to make adaptation to what you uh, wanted for your life or maybe how you were able to do things prior and now you have to maybe use an assistive device for me personally um, and it can be different for different people i was born with a disability so this has been my life i have nothing else to compare it to so it could have had an influence in the way I wrote, but also I don't have something to compare my life to. So, yeah. Sure. I think it's so inspiring in many ways to see the way you've adapted and changed your own expectations, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so based on your master's, maybe you could share with us a little about, a bit about the findings how your project progressed over time and some of the interesting conclusions you discovered. Uh, so f f from my master's, looking at the family caregivers uh, of persons with physical disability, the first thing that I realized is every community has their own identity because they have their own sets of resources and challenges. So um, seems as if the findings are contradictory, but it was because of the participants having different experiences in different communities. So I think that was the big uh, learning curve for me is the expectation of what I thought I would find and then realizing it's different in every community. That was quite interesting. <laughs> Could you give us some example? Yes, so in certain communities, you would find that they knew what was available in the community. I mean, I worked in the fields in the Overstrand area, and it was a very supportive community. The, uh, there was a very good disability supportive network amongst the, the families. And yeah, my study is based in Cape Town. It's completely different. Um, some communities do know there's a stronger initiative in support and community support, but others say they have no idea where to go, where to find information. And so, yeah, so it's, it's quite different uh, in different communities. And I think it all depends on the resources and how people are being made aware of those resources. I think disabilities then becomes a real uh, flag of advocacy. If we're not pushing that agenda, Yes, yes, and, and making the information accessible to mm, the people. Sure. Okay, any other findings you'd like to share with us? Uh, also, what was quite interesting, um, we tend to think that when we compare private and public healthcare, that it's always better in the private healthcare and not so much in public healthcare because of it being overcrowded and a lot of other different aspects. But what was interesting in this study was uh, the family caregivers who make use of the private healthcare services felt less supported than the people that were using 
public health care services because in most cases in the public health care system you are being treated by a multi-professional team and once discharged you are connected to a community organization which does not always happen in private health care. Sure so it's almost like the need for support is just as real in public as it is in private and yes. people aren't actually accessing it the way that they could or should or would hope to. Yeah. yeah yes yes and a lot of the people said that they once they their child was discharged from the hospital they didn't know where to start where to find a speech therapist where to find uh, occupational therapists and all the different types of therapists and services that they knew they had to access to help the child or even their spouse um, but they didn't know where to find it and it's a scary space to be, I'm sure, for a parent to feel like they don't know where to go or they're not sure who to ask for help or for support. Yes, but like I said, it's, it's different. I don't want to make the assumption that it's always in public and always in private like that. It was, it was really what came out in the study. It really was different almost in every single community. It all came down to how people were made aware of what is available. Okay, wow. It's I'm really encouraging to hear that the uniqueness, you know, of context matters. And I think in research we forget that sometimes because we're pushing for like generalized terms or, you know, this is what is the trend. Yes, yes. What was one trend was the um, information that uh, people of in both the public and private health care, there was a big need for information, whether it was information about the services available or the support groups, but sometimes just information about the uh, medical condition of the person with a disability, as well as policies that are available. So in general, that was quite one thing that came across um, was the with the, the need for more information on disability, which I know is available, but we must maybe think about how accessible that information is. Absolutely. Sure. Interesting. And so what significance do you think this would have to practice? Um, and maybe you spoke a bit about policy, if you'd like to talk about the implications for policy. I think social workers are always interested in that because there are people listening who are in practice, but then we have to talk about policy if we want to talk about advocacy. No, definitely. I think uh, the major thing that research um, can actually impact is with practice, research and policy is for that to work, those three needs to speak to each other. So in practice, what is the frustrations or the concerns needs to be shared with research and with policy and vice versa as well. So with my research, I think it, uh, looking at specifically the family caregivers, which in a lot of cases are sometimes uh, overlooked, although there are initiatives in place in certain communities, but in a lot of cases they are overlooked and the focus seems to be on the person with the disability. So with the research, I think, and with others as well, I think it just gives us a moment to reflect on where are we putting our priorities and how are we prioritizing certain strategies and how are we addressing the needs of the people and are we involving them in the decisions that we're making. Yeah, for sure. Sure. 
it's a challenge and a half that's for sure <laughs> and very much a call to action to say as social workers as a body of people talking about humans and society what are we doing about those people who are neglected or struggling the family members who are needing support who are potentially our yes, beneficiaries yes. and our again clients, for uh, policy makers to speak to the practice for practice to share with academics and academics to share with with practice so i think um, the stakeholders just needs to start to talk to each other basically more and see where they can work together to address different needs of our service user definitely you will make a link in the podcast description for your study if anyone is interested in reading up more about Nurette's recommendations or conclusions specifically linked to this um well it'll definitely be in the podcast notes so you have a blog and that's fun hey <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so at this point, the blog is uh, very much in the teething phase, so I will maybe rather call it an information page at the moment, uh, but the plan is for it to ev eventually evolve to having more regular updates, uh, so yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So your blog is called Informability, is that correct? Yes, yes. So combining the idea, idea of informations and disability. Am I on the right track here? <laughs> yes, you are, you are. So it came it came from my like I mentioned before now with my master's findings that people found that they don't know where to go, where to find the information, they don't know where to start. So although there are other websites like that as well, um, and I know different organizations share their own resources as well. I kind of felt to add to that and maybe just have another way of sharing what is available in the disability sector as an independent um, a website, not specifically providing certain services, but more making information accessible. So, yeah. I think it's amazing. I spent some time looking through the blog yesterday and I was really excited to see about driving schools for people yeah. with disabilities. Yes, yes. So this is all uh, just in disclosure. I, oh, as a disclaimer, I'm not an advertising or marketing company, <laughs> but it was basically just trying to link people with disabilities and their families with other services available. So whenever uh, I always tell organisations, if you want, if you want to um, give information, then that's just another way to share what is available. Definitely, and it's um, bridging that gap that you said your study found yeah. where people are unsure where does a person with disabilities practice to drive. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we'll put a link for your blog also in the show notes, and I'm very excited to see as your blog progresses, but also as your studies progress. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so tell me, are there resources within the communities or people that you know that are joining together with the interest of disabilities that if someone is listening and they should engage with, what would your recommendation be? So, like I said, I'm not a marketing company, so <laughs> sure. there are so, so many different organizations 
um, out there. So I don't want to specify specific ones, but sure. you can always just start. You can like my Facebook page <laughs> and start maybe there. But uh, what I found is uh, once you go on social media and you just search, uh, say, for example, a specific disability type or a specific area, then you uh, it's quite you will find one or two at least that is available on social media and once you start connecting with them they also tend to share from other organizations so that's a good starting point to at least start finding out of what is available and the, the organizations delivering specific services will also be able to link you with other similar organizations as well Sure. So don't sit in silence is what you're saying. Basically, There's, yes. yes. Uh, a whole world of information and many communities out there it, specifically on social media. Yes, yes. And I think most uh, of us now in the 21st century, we are quite uh, on social media. So I think that's the one that might be the most accessible for people and the most common and user-friendly to go to start out with. Definitely. Before we move on to talking more about your research experience, I would love to know from your participants if you were able to gauge or get any emotional response for them. What was their experience of being caregivers? I think that's something that would maybe be a question left in someone's mind is how did it feel to be a caregiver? Yeah, so again, there was some very, very uh, good stories, positive stories of people that have adapted completely. Uh, there was one family with three um, children with disabilities and they have renovated their whole house to fit their children. The whole house has been adapted so that their children can uh, be independent and be able to live on their own if the other family member go, members goes away. But then there were also cases where the family was given the responsibility of maybe a sibling or, yeah, in a lot of cases, a sibling, taking care of a sibling with a disability without them having a choice in the matter. Um, for different reasons and for them it was a little bit more difficult to accept their role uh, because many of them had to leave around behind their own uh, career aspir aspirations and life aspirations as well so uh, so positive and negative uh, like I said yeah so with the negative it was mainly to they, they felt overwhelmed in a lot of cases and leaving behind was quite a big thing for them as well, leaving behind what they knew, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's move on to the second section of our episode today. And it's wonderful to give researchers an opportunity just to reflect on the lessons they learned along the way. And also the lessons as a social work researcher aren't always shared with other researchers. I think we sometimes hide <laughs> and there's no place to share the ins and outs and the ups and downs of research. And so my first question to you is, do you recall a moment 
in your research journey where you had any challenges or hurdles? I think the biggest hurdle that I experienced was finding the participants that I needed because for various reasons uh, you have to respect not everybody wants to always form part of research uh, on a personal level for myself I, you don't always feel you want to participate it will take time it's personal or whatever the reason so there was that challenge to first define participants and then in some cases the participants agreed but then later in the process decided they don't want to be part again so i think that was the biggest hurdle is trying to just get enough data and enough participants to be able to do the research yeah, not an easy thing when you're getting a yes and a yes turns into a no and of course we respect people's decision to withdraw from research but it's always a hard one isn't it yes yes and like i said it was for different reasons it wasn't um so because it is an emotional topic uh sharing your experiences will always uh, or in many cases will be an emotional topic. So some of them just decided that they don't feel comfortable in sharing that. So and that and that you will respect always, but that did now from a research point of view make things a little bit more challenging. And in terms of your job, have you seen your research link at all to your everyday work? Uh, yes, I must say um, it's given me a uh, and opportunities to also incorporate it in um, my teaching because I do a little bit of disability in the subjects that I'm teaching and also just being or making the institution more aware of disability in general. So it has definitely had an impact and um, I'm hoping it will even grow more. So we'll see. Yes, so there was a reason I asked that question and leads to my next question, which is what is next for you? I know we spoke a little bit about your PhD study, but maybe you can share with the listeners a bit about the journey and why you are sticking with your disability focus. So I must first just say I, uh, during my research of my master's, I really was overwhelmed by the level of support that I got from Stellenbosch University and especially my supervisor, Dr. Slabert, and they've really made me fall in love with research. So from my master's onwards or during my uh, journey throughout master's, I really started to enjoy the research and enjoy and see what impact research could have. So from well, once I finish my master's, the next step will then be the doctoral <laughs> study because now I couldn't see myself not continuing with research. Wow, I love that. It's so exciting. Um, it just makes me so aware of the fact that support and supervision becomes so important. And we heard a bit about that in our previous episode, but also just how encouraging it can be to be in an environment that values research. Exactly. And I must say, uh, even the organization that I worked with, they were very, very supportive, even though we struggled finding participants and all that support uh, of finding girls, all that support really made a difference in the journey. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Oh, I'm so encouraged by that comment. 
So lastly, what are the lessons or maybe some advice you could give to social re- social work researchers out there? Maybe some of our listeners who are thinking about going into disability research or social workers who are just interested in starting their PhD or their master's. I think the main thing is you need to be passionate about the area that you're doing your research in because they are going to be difficult times along the journey. So if you're not passionate about that, that could make it even more challenging. And then also, once you've done your research, share it. Uh, Don't just do it for the qualification. Do it. You can actually use your research to just like with other social work interventions to make a difference and hopefully the uh, right person, the policymakers, will also hear what what you found and maybe they were not aware of issues in the communities. Um, So, yeah, so share your research. Don't just keep it on a piece of paper. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so encouraged by that as well because I think as social workers we don't always talk about research as common narrative or discussions between each other we're all very concerned about when the next report is due and so it's exciting to hear that research is high on your agenda and I agree with you for researchers to start to think about how do I relate my research to the world to my profession um, and to those out there in big higher places who have power to actually make change Yes, and this is what I love about uh, your medium as well, is making the research relatable so that it's it's available for people to understand the different topics better. Merit, your master's and your PhD sounds like it's starting to link. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about your your journey and where you see your master's fitting into your PhD study. So my PhD studied to decide on the topic was quite a journey but it, it ended up building from my masters as uh, with my masters I focused on the experiences of family caregivers of persons with physical disabilities and now I'm looking at uh, adults who acquired a physical disability later mm. in their life I think I mentioned it before with both cases there's a common thread of they had to make an adjustment in in their life. So I was so from finding out in my masters that there was in certain communities a lack of resources, I wanted to explore what social work social workers specifically, uh, or how people perceive social work specifically in helping persons with mm. disabilities, especially those that acquired a physical disability later in their life. And how how do they perceive social workers to assist with integrating into everyday life and adjusting to their new uh, lifestyle? Amazing. It's such a story of progression and how you're able to see the need in your master's and build upon it and start to create something new and innovative. It will be an interesting study. I'm quite looking forward to Uh, understanding people's experiences regarding social work and disability. So our conversation today, just in summary, was really about the individual physical disability and the impact that it has on the family members and caregivers. And it was so wonderful to hear Narette speak and share 
about her findings, but also her own reflections and see the importance of communication and how we can use different platforms, whether it be her blog or Facebook page or the research itself as a platform to advocate for those who don't always get a platform. So, yeah, so thank you very much. That was a wonderful um, introduction. And for people who are interested, we would love to link them to your research um, and to your various platforms and pages. We will also put a subscribe button onto the page. And so we ask listeners to subscribe to the channel. Also follow the blog because learning should be relatable. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was lovely having you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.